program is brought to you in living color on NBC. with a normal podcast this week. Uh, no guest stars. No guest stars trolling themselves on our comment page. What was that about? I don't know. Ed's a weird, Ed's a weird dude. <laughs> I mean, we can get you trolls if you need them, Ed. He, he needs to troll himself. <laughs> he has to, to self-troll. He has some sort of weird split personality. I guess. This is what, this is what happens when you spank your children. It splits their personality into multiple personality into multiple people. Is it like some sort of deep-seated guilt? Or? I think so. Some sort of deep-seated guilt or something weird. It splits your personality into two different creatures, at least. Well, still, I appreciate the other podcasters coming on and taking my place for a week. Hopefully they didn't, you know, do too much better than me. We still have a half hour of unreleased content from them. That's when shit got weird. In any case. Uh, so, yes, a normal podcast where today we're doing the Be a Better Geek or Being a Better Geek, depending on who's saying it. And we'll start with, um, before we get into all that stuff, though, what are you watching? Uh, watching a ton of stuff, but I actually want to talk about something. I am reading the second volume of the manga Monster by Naoki Urasawa. Uh, came in for me last week, and I finished that up uh, right before this podcast. I have one chapter that left. And for those who are not familiar with this, it is a political thriller set in the early 1990s in reunified Germany. And there is a serial killer on the loose. And our main character is Dr. Tenma, who has been framed for these killings. And he is trying to capture the serial killer who he had treated as a young boy. And is, you know, trying to deal with that in this volume. We've now been introduced to a neo-Nazi faction who is trying to kill off the Turkish, po- Turkish population in Berlin. So it's a political thriller that focuses on a serial killer? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, the serial killer and it's a political thriller at the same time. This is volume two of nine. Uh, the next one I think comes out in January. So I'm excited for that. Okay. I'll probably devour that when that gets in and maybe mention it here. I might have mentioned this before. I'm not sure. 
Maybe, but I don't recall. But I think it was I think it was in one of our periods when we were not doing as many episodes, and it had gotten lost in the shuffle there. So I'm making sure I talk about it now. Okay. Something to check out. Yeah. Um, I've been kind of in a lull, but that changes today. <laughs> today, Stephen King's new book has released called Revival, and I will be devouring that shortly after the podcast is over. <laughs> Whenever I'm speaking, he's actually reading. Now I'm a little see. Now I'm actually a little reticent about this one because um, while Stephen King writes a very convincing plot line whenever he talks about drug addiction, mm-hmm. considering that he is a drug addict or a recovering drug addict, uh, it kind of it's just really a downer. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. Do you want a positive drug addict story? Like no, but like I just <laughs> this really celebrates using speed. They can be downers. Now he, sometimes he does it in, in an interesting way. Like I like the recovering role way better than I like like I'm continuing the drug drug the druggy user. Yeah. yeah, and like he did a really good job where he wrote last year I, th- I want to say the sequel to The Shining. Yeah, that well I remember you talking about that last year. And like you had. Um, Danny Torrance, who's the kid in The Shining, has been as a recovering alcoholic because, like his father, he you know had some issues. But um, and he did that well. So fingers crossed, because I'm pretty sure there happens to be some sort of carnival or fair creepiness happening, and I'm excited about that. Well, you know, Stephen King has to, you know, take at least some of his idea, you know, core concepts. I don't drugs and carnivals. This is his first time. With, like, a carnival fair I'm circus a, thing. I'm surprised in his, as you know, 10,000 novels short stories. He's never done a carnival or fair or something. If he has, I haven't read that one. Okay. Or I don't remember it well. But like, he does a lot of stuff. This is more of a Bradbury thing to me, though. Which I also have to read because it's that time of year. Something Wicked has to be read and then watched. Because it's a pretty good Disney movie. In any case, but that's what I'm planning on doing. In the meantime, let's get started. Let's, let's, let's dive right into this one. You chose for... Actually, your faithful fans. I suggest you, because I think if I had asked people to do the same thing, no one would have voted. But eh, People would have voted. I would have pushed it. But, thank you. But So when you took the poll, people wanted you to pick a variety of things, and you randomly... It was totally random. You randomly selected Coraline, and I... Did we take it upon ourselves to do both versions? No, the, the, the instructions in the request. I was this close to also movie. doing the graphic, novel, the graphic novel, which we have. But, okay. But I, I didn't. Maybe, maybe we'll time. read that at some point and we'll uh, we can just chat about that separately. Maybe. So we did. Well, buy... Maybe we'll get the requester in for this one even. We'll get Ink to come by and, re- and talk about the graphic novel. Oh, wait. We have to back. We have to back. Go back for a second. Oh. The okay. other thing I did, which was awesome, is I went into the city. And I'm vamping a little because I want to find out the name of this play company. But um, I went into the city because I did a Kickstarter from a production uh, that basically took um, Fragile Things by Neil Gaiman. And they took some stories out of there and turned it into a play. And it ran about 90 minutes, no intermission. And it was amazing. Like, my partner is a lot like you are who doesn't like to use things like best but, like, this is, hands down for me, the best thing I have seen on stage to date. And I followed them, so I'm looking at people I have followed. And it is, the play company is Old Sound Room. They've done two Kickstarters. I'm sure they'll do a third. I highly recommend them. It was a fantastic production. It was also very 
it was my first experience in sort of, shall we say, the seedy underbelly of... You mean off-Broadway? Of, Off-off-Broadway? Of Off-Broadway, where, like, we were still, like, within reasonable walking distance. We took, we took a train subway, but we just walked back to the Penn Station. And it was this derelict courthouse where, like, in the middle of this courthouse, there was this small theater, and the risers were all creaky wood. There was no assigned seating, so we got there about 30 minutes early. And got to sit wherever the crap we wanted. So we were like third row center. And it was, it was a really, really positive experience. I highly recommend people follow them and throw money at them. It's like the tickets were all at $15 a piece on Kickstarter. And it was the most positive experience for Kickstarter I've had to date. But, okay, now I can go back to. Okay, so we're doing Coraline or we're doing Lost Room first? We're doing, oh, we're doing Lost Room. Okay. Because I want to get, I want to, I want to push through any negativity we may or may not feel. My selection was Lost Room. Um, it is something that I forget what date it come out, came out. It was 2006, I believe. It was a three-episode miniseries. Let's release six episodes. Yes, and my DVD I discovered was broken. Oh, because it's it'll play the episodes, but if you tell it to play them all, it will go back. And play the trailers that lead up to the menu. Mm-hmm. And I didn't figure that out for about three playoffs. That's probably every <laughs> every copy of the disc then. That was that was my tragedy where it took me it took me doing that three times to figure out that it was just doing that over and over again. That, that's probably an authoring issue on, on every copy. I, I don't. It it was uh, December two thousand six. Okay. So it's very close to its ten year anniversary. Eight. Eight. Sorry. Yeah. Um. And it was one of these things where I watched it and I was in love with it. And I think we can agree that from a relative point of view, it, which is it being produced by the sci- Sci-Fi Channel and being a Sci-Fi miniseries, it's fantastic. Yeah, the, I mean, the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries is a dubious distinction to have. And this had this had good names, or at least solid names behind it. You recognize a lot of a lot of actors. From other things you didn't recognize anyone? No. Really? That's not so, anybody. Let's see. Um, people who you should recognize. Al Fanning is the main character's daughter. The main character, Detective Joe Miller, is Peter Krauss, who I didn't recognize, but apparently was on Six Feet Under, which was a big show for people. Um, and there are a lot of... Right now, Roger Bart from The Producers. Mm-hmm. Juliana Margulies um, from ER and probably other things. Like it had uh, Kevin Pollock. You don't recognize Kevin Pollock? No. That's so weird. I don't. Who was he even in this? He, in this one, he was Carl Kreutzfeld, which is um like the I know really the, rich. I know guy. who the character yeah. Carl Kreutzfeld is. I want to make sure. Um, Peter Jacobson, who played the guy who possessed the bus ticket. Okay, he looks familiar, but that's that's interesting. Okay. Okay, and like the, even the weasel, Roger Bart, was obviously yeah the only actor who I recognized. There were a lot of other actors who weren't anyone, but it had some names in it, even if you don't recognize them. <laughs> That's so weird to me. Usually, you have way more None knowledge about this stuff than me. Kevin Pollock is brilliant, by the way. If you ever have a chance, you should like Google. Some of him, like, like look up on YouTube some of his impressions, because he is a brilliant impressionist. Like, he does great impressions of, like, the standards walking and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, but he does them really well. 
in any case, so the the miniseries takes place surrounding the character of Detective Joe Miller, who is a divorced father of one who is trying to maintain custody of his child. And he is threading his way. He the you he finds out as you find out that there is a seedy, weird, magical artifact yeah, there, in the underworld. There's effectively a separate, you know, again, the way I was trying this beforehand is once you accept that this is a D and D type adventure story, it is much easier to swallow the show. So there's a there's a there's there was an incident in the past it's called the incident. Right. The names are never. This is a great example of. Can we just call everything the something? Well, That'll be our naming scheme. Well, one of the things in this that you have to accept in this particular miniseries is that they leave a big gaping hole that is you never know what the crap happened to, like, really start this. All you know mm-hmm. is that something happened in a hotel room that had to do with bad things happening to reality. And everything that was in that hotel room became imbued with strangeness. They had varying abilities and not abilities, like some objects from the room, and they're called objects. Some objects from the room, no one knows what the crap they do. Some objects do very specific things. Some hard, you know, anything from hard-boiling an egg, which we say is, you know, sort of one of the jokes they make, to to disintegrating human flesh and... Subliming bronze. Yeah, I like that one. It's like that is that is oddly specific. <laughs> um, and you have the bus tickets that when you slap someone with the bus ticket, that sends them to I don't know about a mile away from where the hotel room but, is. I'm, I'm guessing that's the bus stop near the Probably. hotel room in my mind. Which, that's the one of the few that makes any sense of what to the object to the to the power. Sure. Other than the key, the key, the key, and the bus ticket are the only two that like. Directly makes sense. Right. You have the comb, which allows you to move quicker, quicker through time for about ten, ten relative yeah, about seconds. Ten seconds. And you have the key, and the key is, is the main focus in this. Detective Joe Miller gets a hold of the key pretty early on, and has it for a good chunk of the story. And you find out that the key, when put into any little tumbler lock that on a door that has hinges, it doesn't actually have to have a frame. It just has to be a door. And you open it, it takes you to the hotel room. And when you go to leave the hotel room, you just have to picture what door you want to leave from. Very abusable thing. Oh, yeah. Any storyteller or dungeon master in his right mind knows that he should never, never give this. your players that. So, but basically, this movie, we have your main character on a quest, because very early on, he loses his daughter to the room. Yes, the end. Because what happens in the room is... Anything that's not an object, that doesn't have the key, when you shut the door, the room resets and those things are gone. So, Detective Joe Miller needs to find his daughter. He's in this weird world where there's objects and secret organizations that quest after these objects. And, um, like, a black market for these objects. There's a black market. There's at least, what, two or three organizations? Two Plus Kreuzfeld. And then, like, Cabal's little group. Yeah, there's other, there's other ones that we assume, you know, might exist. Mm-hmm. And it's a very... It's a very interesting story through... To, like, when you start getting into, like, those Cabal's and the weird things that objects do and just that kind of sub-society. I mean, I think the world is very interesting. I could care about my Joe Miller story. The... You're, I have to say, my daughter, 
is not an interesting story. I liked it. I think, like I, I had mentioned before we started, and I'll say it again now, one of the things I think we have in common tonight in our um, Being a Better Geek picks is that they're both very formulaic. The only difference being that Neil Gaiman knows when to break the formula. Mm-hmm. And this isn't really broken. This is a very, you can predict by episode two, you could probably accurately predict how the show is going to end. Maybe it'll be a little harder because they do dull out information very slowly. You you might get you might you might hope people are gonna betray who don't betray. Right. You're you're in the ballpark though. Yeah. You know, like okay, he's definitely gonna betray. Maybe she'll betray. That'd be cool. I think the strong point in this series though is is some of the actors. Um, and when I say some actors that are specifically not included are people like Juliana Margulies, who plays like his main female love interest, who's just not. Oh, she can't. She at can't. Em- a, she can't emote. Right. Like she, I, I am impressed with her ability to read words with no emotion. <laughs> it's it's it is impressive. She's just she doesn't have a very interesting backstory. She's not a very good actress in this. Yeah, we, honestly, we could have not, not known about her brother thing. Yeah. And that would have kept her character just as boring. Yeah. Other than being exposition cat, you know, one of the many people who are there for exposition. And some of the things are are removed very quickly and for very good reason. Like, very quickly, we get rid of his police partner. Mm-hmm. The police partner's on port, so we just, we're done with him. Yeah, we kill him off. And you have, I liked the idea that there's a uh, forensic specialist in the police department who becomes like a foil for him. Because it's it kind of gives them that mirror where you have him, his, you have the detective who's discovering all these things about the objects, and you have his evil foil counterpart who's discovering things about the objects. So that like that, and I thought he was not bad as an actor. He plays like deranged and crazy pretty quick. Yeah, I thought a lot of the acting was strong though. The acting was was TV quality, I think. You know, high TV quality, but. But I, I did like the. I just. I think one of the reasons I really liked it is because you don't often see stuff like this come out. Like this is a very weird topic and subject matter like, for television. Again, I my thought was, man, I would love to read a source book for a role playing game of this because the character again they have. I don't think the main character, nothing Croy, you know, neither him nor Kreutzfeld, you know, who's the eventually found out, you know, spoiler, he's the actual big bad. They keep hinting at you know, the entire series. You know, to the point where he even says, we're the same, you and I. He's a very sympathetic arch-villain. Yeah. yeah. I they, mean, his, they, they push to make him that way. His motivations are sympathetic. I, yeah, what I, I read when I was reading, I was reading the Wikipedia article to prepare, and the thing I read that was most tragic for me is that they apparently had been planning on a comic book continuation as of 2010. Mm-hmm. And it never went through. And I'm like, you know what? That would be an excellent format for this. And I could totally see it being a really good comic. And as of last year in April, they're like, yeah, it's been indefinitely It's not going to. canceled. Yeah. I feel like if now it's been to release is more than, like, 18 months, assume it's not going to happen. Well, the only thing that's ever managed to, like, like, there have been gaps in certain books that have lasted multiple years. But you can only start. You're only talking about major characters when you start. When they be able to. When they can survive those gaps, <laughs> like um, Kevin Smith and the Spider-Man Evil that men do. Like issue three came out, and then nothing for like eighteen months, two years. 
And then he just like randomly started producing the, the next, the last three issues. And we found out the problem, which was it was a totally different book. The entire tone of the story had changed. Well, two years old. Even, you know, Veritor is going to maintain that same tone if, mm-hmm. in a situation like that. But stuff like, like major characters can hold on to those like multi-year gaps. Mm-hmm. But some bit miniseries from Sci-Fi Channel, not yeah. so much. I mean, it may happen someday. Who knows? But, it but was, it's a don't hold your breath anyway, don't hold your breath stage. But it's a brilliant world, which I think means that, like, that's why I love the, the miniseries part of it. Because while they do focus you on the stories that I found interesting, but you didn't, you you wouldn't get the world if you were talking about a two-hour movie or no. even a three-hour movie. So they give you, what, four or five hours? Yeah. Three, about three to four, yeah, four to five hours, somewhere in that range. Because you're, you know, you've got like each night is an hour and a half. It's a three, well, the third one wasn't 90 minutes. No? The third one was only like, maybe the, it was like 45 plus 30, so like hour 15, I think? Hmm. For some reason, the last episode was shorter, and it, it wasn't like, I couldn't find like obvious truncation in there on the disc. I don't know, I just watched them, I didn't really pay attention. Oh, I was track those kind of weird things. But, um... But I'm glad that it was a miniseries, because you do get the world. And the I, world I, is interesting as hell. Oh, the, yeah, again, the world is something that I would, again, love to read the role-playing source book for this. Because, like, okay, who are all the secret societies, and I want to know all about them, and I want to know all, you know... It would be it would make a very interesting, like, Dark Matter campaign. Yeah, like, dark, you know, something like that, I think, would be... Is really this world that shines entirely in its world for me. That would never, ever find the key. Well, you, yeah. <laughs> well, once you have the key, you die. Like, that's just the only, you know... Someone just stabs you with a pen. But there are the amazing thing is I didn't really get this since I was reading the article. Because, you know, they talk about a lot of the objects, and there's a lot of weird objects there, like the pencil where you tap it on the table and pennies come out. And they talked about it right at the beginning. So, like, the guy was talking about it. He's like, oh, yeah, the guy made about $500 a day just tapping a pencil. And then he tapped his brains out because that's all he did. But um, other things that are there are, the, like, no one's ever really – Taking the bed sheets out. Yeah, the, the bed sheets, the TV. The bed itself. <laughs> yeah, there are more objects in the room, but I guess they're never like, you know, let's just leave those here to make it look like a hotel room. What's the coffee table do? I don't know. Hold your drinks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the line in the first episode. What's the gun do? It shoots bullets, kids. <laughs> it's not an object. It's just it's just a gun. And that was that was kind of interesting, too. Like, at a point, like, the detective, you know, he gets to use the room as a base of operations because mm-hmm. he's got the key. So he finds the leather jacket in the in the closet, and at first I'm like, "Oh, the leather jacket's power is to make him impervious." And I'm like, "Wait a second, that's no. every object." I'm like, Object objects are indestructible." So. <laughs> I love how they almost like don't remember that sometimes. Like they were surprised when the occupant was the same age right. as he was in '61. Well, it's easy to think of non like sentient objects as like that, whereas a, a, a sentient indestructible object is just not as mm-hmm. easy to wrap your brain around. I, I, I was like, wait, why are you guys surprised that, you know, he he's he hasn't changed? Well, well that has become a core ad, rule of the show. Admittedly, by that point, you've seen so much that, like, nothing can, should really surprise you. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why anyone in this show was surprised that, you know, he was still, you know, in his you know, 20s or 30s. But I didn't expect you to love it, but I'm glad you enjoyed parts of it. Yeah, if there was, a, if, again, role-playing source book, guys. Come out with a role-playing source book, I will buy it, and I'll read the fuck out of that thing. No, the world is very interesting. I do, like, I don't know how Vincenzo stands on it, but I do recommend 
I, I don't, I haven't bought it in years. I bought it when it first came out. I don't know how much it's running, but if it's not that expensive, it's well worth watching. It's like, I think in the 15 range, I think. Oh, and that's, you know, that's a good four and a half hours of TV, so. I, you know, if it shows up on, like, Netflix, easily watch it. I'd even say, like, if you like, kind of like, if the, if the things that we're saying sound intriguing to you, it's probably worth fourteen ninety five or whatever. Oh, no, no, sorry, my, my price is way off. It is eight twenty two. Oh, it's well worth eight dollars. It's it's that's that's impulse level. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like that's it's worth eight twenty two. The list price is fifteen. Uh, it's eight twenty two on Amazon Prime. I, I might get a secondary copy just to, you know, in case the first one fails. I, I scratch discs a lot. <laughs> they don't go back in the case one time. They just stay up there and they It'll magically probably scratch. stay that price for a long time I, you know, until they run out of copies. I don't see this as something that's gonna get printed out a lot more. Probably not. They probably printed. Just enough to keep it around forever, <laughs> but no, that so that that was my thing. That was like I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope that the review makes other people who are interested more like world, like exciting worlds and mystery kind of. Yeah, again, the, the cool, the world is really cool. I just wish that Joe Miller was a more character. I liked him, and I thought he was. I thought he was portrayed very well. I liked the actor. I, and I also think that he was at times just a little too quick to pick up on how objects work. Like, about the second episode... I think everyone was like that, though. I'm, yeah. Because I was watching this, and, like, his partner, he shows his partner, like, the key in the room for the first time, and the partner immediately picks up on, like, like the idea that the room resets. He's like, wait, can we be in there? Is the room going to reset on us? And I'm like, should you really be asking those questions yet? Yeah. So, yeah, so exactly. Like, everyone in this show, like, the, the character writing is not necessarily great in this show, in that, like, everyone's just a little too smart. Or, again, everyone grew up playing D&D, so their reaction is, okay, what are the rulesy sci-fi rules for this thing? No, absolutely, I I will give you that. I I guess I kind of feel like the actors themselves Mm -hmm. were pretty charismatic. Yeah, the actors are fine. It's it's the character writing that I have more issues with. Like, the only person, the only believable character, like, truly, like, nothing that happened with that character was wrong was the little girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she acted exactly like a little girl would act. Exactly. Like, yeah, Dad, lots of lots of my stuffed animals are disappearing in the weird room. <laughs> Don't go to that one. That was awesome. Like, no, no, no. Not Mr. Snufflebottom. And then you can keep it and make it as a weird, sad item for the rest of the TV series. Yep. But okay. But um no, if you like if you like fun worlds and like weird artifacts and like kinda I don't want to say X Files ish, but like those mysterious it's things. Modernly Lovecrafting and it has that again has that, that mentality of I do like that because the objects do carry around with them some sort of aura of bad karma. Mm-hmm. And there's also yeah, that mentality of you know, thing man things man wasn't wasn't meant to learn. Sure. And sure. that's consistent throughout this and that. And lots of lots of special groups that deny that and try to learn these things yes. to tragedy. Yeah, that and that pretty much everyone who learns to you know the idea that, you know, once you touch one object, your life falls the fuck apart. Oh, yeah, and there's some sort of, like, object addiction, too. Mm-hmm. Or, like, once you've, like, once you know about the object, you have to have an object. Yes, because, you know, <laughs> no one seems to just have one. Except the bus, the bus ticket guy. A bus ticket guy has the one object. He seems to be the smartest. He's like, yeah, I'm addicted to the bus ticket, but I got the bus ticket. <laughs> I want nothing else, though. Please leave me out of this. Why do you keep coming back to me? I love that. That character is one of my favorite characters, because he literally just walks around the world, and if you piss him off, he sends you to New Mexico. <laughs> That's a curse. That's the cruel, cruel thing to do to someone. <laughs> I just, 
they're just random people. I love that. That's that's the guy that's easiest to find for the main character because he just goes to that bus stop using the key and just waits for someone to appear on that street. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, where were you just now? <laughs> in any case, so that was Lost Room. So, so we'll move on to Coraline after the break. Yes, and we're breaking. 